Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Distilled, a spirited podcast. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Distilled, a podcast about the very water of life itself. My name is Julie Christie, and I'll be your host over the next eight episodes as we explore the wonderful world of Irish whiskey through the eyes of those that make it, those that sell it, and those that enjoy it. We hope that whether you're a veteran of the whisky scene or a complete newcomer, you'll find something to enjoy here at Distilled. If you like what you hear, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you usually get your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, give us a wee five-star rating or a review. If you don't like what you hear, well, let's just keep it between ourselves, shall we? Anyway, that's enough of the preamble. Let's get on with it. It's no secret that Irish whisky is currently riding a wave of popularity that hasn't been seen in nigh on a century. From being the world's most popular whisky in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the fall from grace was pretty sudden and quite spectacular. The reasons for the decline are many, and we'll touch on some of these throughout the series. But regardless of the cause, the outcome was that by the 1970s, Ireland had only two whisky distilleries left. Middleton in Cork and Bushmills in Antrim. It was against that backdrop that John Teeling opened the Cooley Distillery in 1987, indirectly paving the way for the Irish whisky revival that we're now enjoying, not least because it's where his children cut their teeth in the whisky business. Following the sale of Cooley in 2012, Jack and Stephen Teeling went on to establish the Teeling Distillery quickly racking up some prestigious international whisky awards and garnering a great deal of interest at home and abroad. In 2015, they opened the first new distillery in Dublin in over a century and released their first batch of Dublin distilled single pot still whisky towards the end of 2018. I was delighted to get the chance to sit down with Teeling co-owner Stephen Teeling, who was able to tell us more about the distillery, the whisky, and their part in revitalising the Irish whisky category. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Distilled. Delighted to be here. So I think if you could just start by telling us a little bit about the origins of the Teeling brand. So how did it first come around? Yeah, so um, the company was actually founded back in 2012 by my brother Jack. Um, I suppose we're multi-generational dubs. So um, family dates back a long time um, to a distillery in 1782 in Dublin. So I think we'd be ace generation teeling involved in Irish whiskey. And I suppose the recent generation would have been my father back in the 80s, who set up the first new distillery in nearly 100 years as well um, of Cooley Distillery. So I suppose myself and my brother are um, kind of part of a strange generation who grew up in a family distillery um, Learning, learning um, from a very early de- early uh, age what goes into making whiskey. I suppose playing uh, a lot of our 
uh, games and stuff like that out in distilleries and in warehouses and stuff like that from the age of like eight years old. So I think um, it was in our blood. We have deep roots here in Dublin. And I think um, the genesis for uh, bringing distilling back to Dublin was um, the fact that a lot of the key distilleries in Dublin had actually shut. Um, so there was... So it was an implosion in Irish whiskey that would be well documented that Irish whiskey went from kind of boom to bust um, and that led to the closure of a lot of distilleries here in Dublin, um, which, you know, in our view was a was a massive loss um, in the landscape, not just for Irish whiskey, but for Dublin itself. Of course. Um, and so my um, brother and myself saw an opportunity there that we could revive not only the teeling brand in the city centre in Dublin, but also bring distilling back to the city where it originally started. So there were originally 37 separate distilleries in the city of Dublin. So Irish whiskey predominantly was city-based versus Scotch, which was always more rural, mm-hmm. um, which had fallen um, from the wayside. I think it was the 1970s when the last distillery in Dublin shut its doors and moved down to Cork for a purpose-built distillery um, in Middleton. And there was one distillery making all the Irish whiskey brands basically in the whole island of Ireland called Irish Distillers. So my father broke that monopoly in the 80s. Uh, We obviously learnt uh, a little bit of that rebellion or that uh, entrepreneurial spirit uh, growing up in in that environment. And in 2011, uh, Cooley, the original distillery that my father set up, was actually bought by a big company, Jim Beam. Yep which uh, I suppose pulled the rug out a little bit from um, myself and my brother who were only starting to really get our teeth stuck into the running of that business um, but gave us a bit of a kick in the arse to have a look and see, look, could we do something ourselves? And there was always a view that there was an opportunity in Dublin, there was an opportunity to revive our family brand um, and this was the catalyst. So 2012 was when the company was formed Jack um, started, I stayed on for a year with um, Cooley to manage the transition from um, Cooley into Jim Beam. And then I joined um, and we launched our first product, the Teeling product in 2013. So I suppose relatively young, but um, we had a fixed idea about what we wanted to do. Um, Opportunity as well. It was a very dark time, I think, in the Irish economy when we were looking at it. People thought we were mad to be putting any money back into the city of Dublin, let alone try and do something mad like build a distillery in the city centre. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the first time anyone had even applied for a planning application for a distillery in nearly 100 years, so nobody knew what to do. Yeah. But with the economy in uh, freefall, uh, opportunities came up to get pieces of um, land which just were probably segregated for um, apartments and that type of development. So I suppose every... Uh, Dark Cloud has a silver lining and um, what were they calling it when we were looking at it? I think it was the Celtic Corpse and they were saying, yeah, Celtic Tigers, the Celtic Corpse. We viewed it as the Celtic Phoenix, an opportunity to rise and do something different. And I remember when we found the site in um, the Liberties up in Newmarket, there'd been no planning applications in somewhere so central in nearly eight years. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and the local community there were just so happy that something was happening and the fact that we were bringing something real, a real working distillery back to where, I suppose, the cradle for where Irish whiskey used to be. I'd like to take a look at you and your brother Jack's mindset back then. Obviously, it's a huge risk. Like, Irish whiskey was near enough at rock bottom, near enough. And would you guys, did back then, did you think that you were going to be one of the key players in the revival of the industry? 
I think it was one of those things that we had been in a unique position um, working with my father and out in different markets selling Irish whiskey for a very, very long time. So we were seeing trends that maybe hadn't kick-started here in Ireland in places like the US or other markets where people were reacting quite well to different styles of Irish whiskey or different types of whiskey. And there were um, big changes in terms of consumer habits that they were saying, look, history is fine, but what are you doing now? Which was a really big departure from when we first started in Irish whiskey, where it was a lot about heritage and history and maybe the older generation, whereas the newer generation were starting to ask questions about, well, what are you doing now? How are you relevant to me now? Um, Which I think gave us um, a lot of encouragement that we could do something different. And it had to be different because we felt the category needed somebody to take some risks, take a different view and present something that people really weren't expecting within Irish whiskey and do something that excited us and make Irish whiskies that hadn't necessarily been put in front of people um, previously before. Um, Part and parcel of that was having the heart of the brand based in the city centre. So being based in the city gave us an opportunity to do something different, talk differently, be a little bit more modern in our approach. But also um, Alex Chasco, who would have worked with us in Cooley, came with us on the journey to set up Teeling. So he was the innovations manager previously in our father's distillery who had a lot of different views on how Irish whiskey should be made. So brought a very different lens. Different approach. Yeah, different innovations and different casks we could use um, probably questioned why things hadn't been done rather than um, that's the way they've always been done which was very refreshing and I think uh, while other people saw problems we saw opportunities um, we saw that there was a need for a smaller player um, a fresher approach within the category to keep people interested so make interesting whiskies that weren't already been produced by the bigger companies like um, Perna Ricard with Jamison or Bushmills, try and take a very different view, do things on a smaller scale, um, challenge the norms um, and really challenge perceptions. Um, And I think by going back into the city, by having a clean slate, I suppose, reviving our old brand, but doing things in a very different way gave us that opportunity. And I think we had seen it in other categories. We had seen you know, bourbon um, move away from mass brands. We had seen tequila move away from shots into sipping. We had seen scotch, I suppose, move into single malts. And we're saying, why isn't somebody doing this in Irish whiskey? We are, I suppose, the original whiskey that used to excite consumers. Why is nobody doing this? Um, So while people thought we were a bit mad looking at the city, um, while people thought we were a bit crazy about doing things very differently with our whiskey, we saw that as a positive. If we were making people uncomfortable, we were probably doing something right. And things that we did had never been done before. So that's always going to make people a little bit uncomfortable. Of course, yeah. But it excited us and gave us, um, I suppose, encouragement that things we were doing were potentially going to be discovered by a new generation of whiskey drinkers. And now, there were risks, there was ups and downs, none of these uh, things are ever a slam dunk or, or straightforward, but I think as long as we knew what we wanted to do and also we were happy with the whiskies that we were producing, we felt we were on the right track. Yeah, no, and I think it's fair to say that you definitely have kind of grasped the world's attention. Um, we'll touch a little bit on the different awards and mm-hmm. stuff like that later, but what would you say was your biggest challenge um, setting up Teeling Distillery and is that still a challenge that you're facing today? 
Um, I think at the time it was uh, probably cash flow. Um, I think we uh, invested a lot of money in stock at the start. Um, we had a lot of ambitious plans to build a distillery. At the time when we were looking at it, at the very start, um, the world, as we said, was in a very dark place. Banks became debt collectors rather yeah. than lenders. So a lot of the things that we had to do, we had to self-fund um, and for anyone who's ever set up a distillery, a brewery, anything like that. They'll feel th- your pain, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. It's, in, it's, it's a never-ending money pit because um, it's always money out rather than money in because whiskey is not a fast-moving consumer good. It's a slow burn. Yes. So we were literally building a distillery, launching a brand, uh, you know, buying casks, hiring people, um, while we were still trying to establish ourselves as a new whiskey. So trying to build that balance of doing the right things for the brand while surviving. Um, so at the very start, there was a lot of sleepless nights. There was a lot of um, challenges based around getting the distillery built and also establishing ourselves as a brand internationally. Of course. And making sure on a monthly basis all your bills were being paid. Please, yeah. Uh, wages were being paid. The builders being paid um, who always wanted to be paid monthly. Um and not having probably um, financial backing from a from a financial institution. So I suppose we got through the eye of the storm. Um, anyone who's been involved in build projects know they they can consume a lot of emotional energy. Um, we're through that now. So launched in 2013, our first whiskey. We're now selling in um, over 60 countries. Uh, started with a very small team of probably four and five, four or five people. Now uh, a team of over 90 people. Um, and I think probably uh, you, you, within whiskey, um, if you're successful, uh, you have to lay down more stock. So it's always doubling down that you're going to be successful in 5, 10, 15 years because there are no shortcuts in whiskey. Yeah, so um, with our distillery, um, it's a substantial, it's a medium sized distillery, but a substantial distillery to have in a, in a city location. We can do one, 1 million, maybe 1.2 million litres of alcohol per year. So that is a lot of investment in in liquid, and then you have to buy casks to, to store it as well. Exactly, and um, you have to be backing yourself that in five, ten, fifteen years you are going to be successful. So you have to double, probably produce what you're currently selling. So yeah. I think some of the challenges are always there. If you had limitless cash, you could probably do whatever you a want lot to more. Share. But um, I think we're in a very good position that the distillery is established. We built. The distillery or started the distillery build 2014, opened our doors 2015. The whiskey that we started to make in 2015 has now come of age. So that probably pinch point that we had where we were using um, liquid from previous distilleries um, has now dissipated. But I think we have very ambitious plans. We're always probably not happy uh, yeah. because we can still see the opportunity for premium Irish whiskey and things that we're doing growing and growing very quickly. And I think we're looking at always investing in people as well. That would be where we put a lot of our investments. So hiring good people to go out and tell our story and um, do a lot of things in a lot of different markets. 
think that's obviously a key thing investing in people mm-hmm. and obviously you had a chance to share this journey with your brother Jack mm-hmm. was it always a plan that you were going to go into business together or was there ever kind of a lot of sibling rivalry growing up I think there's always a sibling, sibling rivalry <laughs> in, in, in any uh, family business I think myself and my brother uh, probably growing up never thought that we'd even work with our, work with our dad you know yeah. so I think anyone who's been involved in the family business understands that there are challenges um, that you face. So when um, we left college, both of us didn't join um, the family business. So we went and did very different things. It was only when, um, I suppose, we worked in other industries, we understood probably how um, passionate we were about our former business. So Your heritage. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, didn't necessarily want to be dictated to. So if anyone's ever met our father, he's, he casts a very long shadow. So... <laughs> I think um, having your father as your boss is never uh, necessarily your your goal when you're growing up. But I think when we got a bit of experience, uh, myself and Jack had an opportunity to work and live abroad for a number of years. Jack came back from, I think it was Australia, and joined um, Cooley uh, Distillery. And then I came back and I think it was probably a little bit easier to join and work together once we had experience outside. Of course. We were bringing something. And I think that was always... The challenge um, never really wanted to feel like um, we were just taking a role. We wanted to feel like we were adding value. And um, I think subsequently from joining Cooley, we did a lot of different things that maybe the previous management didn't do. Yeah, Yeah, just a new generation. And then subsequently coming into Teeling, um, I think there's always that challenge of do you necessarily want to go down that route again in terms of working with your family but I think it was a little bit easier when it was us setting it up and doing things our way rather than maybe someone else's ideas yeah and like uh, you know uh, so much blood sweat and tears went into setting up Cooley and there was so much emotional investment from the previous management in the brands it was very difficult for them to let them go and very difficult for us to influence them so I think probably setting up afresh and having an opportunity to do something completely new was very refreshing and I think definitely for Jack he had a lot of fixed ideas in Cooley that he couldn't implement Um, he was managing director um, I was looking after a lot of the export markets this was a clean slate to go and f- follow through with some of those ideas that um, that he had and that, that we had. And I think it was, yeah, and I think probably what we found was that there was hopefully a nice balance between what both of us brought, that it wasn't necessarily as lopsided as maybe it had been previously when we were working working in an organisation that we didn't start or didn't own. And obviously a huge milestone uh, last year was mm-hmm. the launch of the Teeling Single Pot Still. So yeah. your first liquid from your stills out there and released. Uh, first single pot spill in Dublin for over 50 years. Yeah. So um, what was that like to experience that milestone? Was uh, a single pot still whiskey always on the plan for Teeling? Yeah, I, th- I think the um, Dublin was renowned for single pot still. So it was Dublin pot still whiskey was very much at the forefront of Irish whiskey back when Dublin was the main um, distilling quarter. So when we were setting up, we were like, look, first distillery in a very long time in the city centre, Potsdill is where we're going to go after. And also 
we said, look, we do a traditional um, mash bill, which would be 50% malted, 50% unmalted. So hadn't been done before in a very long time. So we were saying, look, if we're going to do it, we'll do it right. Um, and what we felt was really, really cool was that this was an ode to the past but with a modern um, twist. So this was Irish whiskey for a new generation. Um, and when we were looking at it, um, and you know, we're still we're still part of that journey. We were saying, look, what we'll do from when we first launch it, we'll do a special um, charity auction for the first cask of um, Dublin whiskey produced, and give back to um, local charities. So, I think our first cask of Dublin pot still whiskey sold for I think uh, a record amount. The first bottle, phenomenal. Yeah, response, I think it was yeah. uh, ten thousand um, pounds um, sold actually to somebody in Scotland who never revealed who they were. <laughs> but, um, you couldn't send them a thank you. Yeah, no. yeah, look, we said, look, to mark the occasion, we said we'd do something really special. Um, and following on from that, we have done three batches of the first pot still. So batch one, batch two, and we've recently just launched batch three. And what we're trying to show um, whiskey consumers is, uh, or whiskey drinkers is the journey across a year as to how um, the pot still is evolving. So um, I think you seldom get an opportunity to be part of something from the start. Um, we were inviting people in to try our um, pot still when it's become of age. And now as the whiskey is maturing, um, we're seeing such an evolution, even over the 12-month period. And I think you were saying you'd tasted batch three. Alex came to the Celtic Whiskey Shop and tasted with you guys. Such a change from September um, to where we are now. And probably by end of September, start of October, we will have landed on uh, an ongoing product that we're comfortable with. So I think like any of these things from building the distillery to launching our own whiskey, we were saying, look, let's really, really look at this as an opportunity to take people along on the journey and, um, you know, get them to understand what, an, you know, a new make pot still tastes like all the way up to, you know, a three-year-old all the way up to a four-year-old. Um, and definitely for us, we found it really, really interesting to see how it's evolved. Um, the, the recent one is, I think, just 9,000 bottles. So once that's gone, the, the batches will be gone. And I was going to, that was going yeah, to be Yeah, I think we've actually. learned a lot from doing our single malt and some of the marrying projects that we've worked on as to what we think will be a very um, solid ongoing drinking whiskey. So we've priced it at a, a level that we want people to drink. The, yeah, it's not just for collectors. This is more for an ongoing Dublin Pozzo whiskey. Um, and we, uh, you know, put the bottling date on every one of our products because the nature of batch production or the nature of whiskey is each batch can be different, but the um, constants will be there. The DNA for what we're doing will be there. So it'll be non-chill filtered, um, you know, predominantly um, ex-bourbon, um, virgin oak and some sherry casks as well. Um, and we're really, really comfortable now with the direction that we're going on. Oh, that's so yeah. exciting. And yeah. I mean, we have to touch upon like your success earlier this year and countless award winning. You must be <laughs> so proud. But the big one, of course, was the, the win at the World Whiskey Awards. Amazing, yeah. uh, first time in like forever, I think, yeah, yeah. And Irish whiskey had for, won. For first time ever, an Irish whiskey has been shortlisted for um, World's Best Single Malt. Um, a huge coming of age for the category, we think, because, you know, um, 
it's been dominated for so long by Scotch whiskey. Um, in recent years, some world whiskey like Japanese and American whiskey have started to make some inroads, but Irish whiskey very much was on the sideline watching. And even up until the point that we won the award, we were kind of thinking it's not going to happen. because yeah, still pinching yourself. Yeah, just, it, it's been such an establishment for so long that Scotch is the preeminent single malt and that Irish was never really associated with that level of um, robust flavours. Um, so to win that first time ever an Irish whiskey has won that award, we feel is a real state of, statement of intent for the category and couldn't happen at a better time for Irish whiskey because there's so many good things happening in the category. Um, and um, the 28th of March would be um, fondly remembered by me because that was when my second daughter was born as well. So <laughs> that was the day of the award. So um, Double the celebration. Yeah, there was a lot of our 24-year-old single malt consumed wetting the baby's head, <laughs> probably too much at the time, but um, a huge statement of intent. And I think it just follows on... Um, you know, what we were always told growing up is always focus on the quality of the whiskey that you make because that's the one thing you can control. And I think to be in um, the game or to be in Irish whiskey, you have to be world class. Um, you know, you're up against some of the world's biggest drinks companies like Perno and Diageo. Of course. The liquid you make is exactly what you will be judged on because you'll never have the same budget, uh, marketing budgets. You'll never have the same level of distribution. But if you can make world class liquids that excite people and continually win awards, I think we've won over 220 um, international awards in the last five years. Like, that's hugely important. But you could have the world's best whiskey and still not be able to get in the back bar. So I think. It gets you a foot in the door, but it's only half the battle. That's very true. And, um, you know, working with the likes of the Celtic Whiskey Shop here in Ireland has given us a huge platform to be able to, you know, even through their online or through the shop as a destination to pick up some of these world-class Irish whiskies. Um, you know, I think uh, Ali and the gang were huge supporters of what we did in Cooley and have continued that support into um, what we've done and have been a real bedrock for that revival of Irish whiskey. I think anyone who goes into that shop um, can get such a wealth of knowledge from the staff and probably a selection of whiskies there that you can't get anywhere else. Um, what's your kind of vision on the growth of Irish whiskey at the moment? So you obviously touched on the importance of the quality of whiskey. Um, do you think there is the demand for all the new Irish distilleries growing at the moment? Yeah, look, I think uh, the category for... I'd say probably the last 40, 50 years has been crying out for more variations, more people doing interesting things like any of these things, as long as people understand why they're doing them. So if the distillery has a real understanding of why they're making a product that way, how it's going to excite the consumer, why potentially somebody would pick up a bottle off the shelf. I think that's brilliant for the category. The idea of just making whiskey, throwing it in a bottle and hoping it will sell, I think it's flawed because uh, whiskey consumers in particular are very knowledge hungry. Um, there's a huge competitive set, not just only within Irish whiskey, but in whiskey in general, that yes. you're up against Goliaths um, outside of Ireland that have set a standard for quality. So I think... There are a lot of brilliant things currently happening, but like any um, growth, there'll be winners and losers. And I think the winners will be ones who have a real understanding of why they're producing a whiskey in that style and why they're doing it is more important than um, 
just setting up and you know a lot of people come in to us and say oh I'm thinking of setting up a distillery we're like why like what are you trying to do or yes. what type of whiskey are you trying to make or what is your insight as to why somebody will want to buy your product or, or, or drink your whiskey and I think it was um, Whiskey Live last year I couldn't believe it like uh, you know I've gone to Whiskey Lives all over the world it was probably the best attended best everyone showed up looking their best in terms of distilleries <laughs> it was absolutely buzzing and that for me was a huge signal of intent as to all the good things that are happening in Irish whiskey um, because you know even even some of the uh, the established players really upped their game and I think Wars, competition yeah. is forcing everyone to revert back to quality and as long as everything is done for the right reasons I think it would be very positive for the category and you know, taking things that we do here in Ireland and presenting them on a global scale, I think will be really, really good as well. Yeah, I think definitely the need to differentiate is a huge thing. Big time. Um, And I mean, like you said, with Whiskey Live Dublin, you know, it's all the kind of Irish distilleries under the one roof. And, you know, you'll notice this year when you're in attendance that, you know, there's a few more new Irish distilleries. We're actually kind of getting to the point where we're running out of space to kind of accommodate everyone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But that that in itself, like for years, we used to go to Whiskey Lives all over the globe and we were in the back room with... I think it was Pendaren, the Welsh whiskey and some of the Indian whiskey, like Irish whiskey wasn't even given consideration. Category, yeah. We were literally just flying a flag as an afterthought. Whereas fast forward now to the current buzz within Irish whiskey and um, the future should be very bright um, because we're not just another Irish whiskey. We're competing at a world, world level. So they're judging us not just because we're from Ireland, but because of the quality of the liquid. And I think probably fast forward 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to be fascinating to see how much more consideration that we get, yeah. um, you know, from visiting to Whiskey Live in London to a lot of these other markets. We're seeing that people are giving world whiskey a lot more attention. Um, and as long as we focus on quality and as you had said, differentiation, that would be the, the key part of why we're successful. Yeah, oh no, I definitely agree. The thirst for knowledge is definitely there. Um, and I mean, obviously, we're delighted you guys have two masterclasses this year at Whiskey yeah. Live Dublin. So for our listeners attending, um, you'll have the chance to sample the world's best, yeah. including the Teeling 24 amongst their other award winning whiskies and also a Brabazon masterclass. And we've been told that we're going to get a sneak preview of three and four. Could you yeah. tell us any more about yeah, that? Yeah, so um, I think uh, like previous before, we do a lot of limited editions. So um Brabazon 1 and 2 uh, uh, were products that we brought out. Um, Vattings of uh, Brabazon 1 was kind of a sherry bomb. Brabazon 2 was um, a vatting of different pork casks. Um, Once they're sold through now, they're gone as well. So um, we were thinking, well, what next? So Brabazon Series 3 and Brabazon Series 4 will come out next year. So we'll do sneak peeks on hopefully Brabazon 3, Brabazon 4, and also there may be um, another one that uh, we're hoping to have ready for Christmas this year called um, the Renaissance, which Fine. will be a follow-on from what what happens after the revival. Yeah, uh, yeah a <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, yeah. that um, I think will be a very, very interesting product that um, hopefully again will, uh, will excite the the whiskey drinkers so there'll be a lot of stuff that isn't probably out out yet that people can taste at the the whiskey masterclass 
and um, also we might bring a bit of the Dublin distilled products as well just to taste with people and um, just to see what they think and also the finalised pot still as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So Can't no sh- wait till November already. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no shortage of goodies at the at the Teeling stand. So yeah, no, look at uh, we we love to go to the shows. We just love making Irish whiskey. So yeah. going going and tasting with people is what what really gives us a buzz. Great, perfect. Well, just quickly before you go, um, obviously your visitor centre tours are mm-hmm. daily. They run. Could you tell yeah. us what time? They yeah, run from? so they run from ten a.m. Um, probably on um, probably twenty twenty past, and then twenty two at three an hour, and then uh, we're a little bit uh, later in the summer, so they go till about six o'clock. So, yeah, you know, open uh, seven days a week. Um, and, yeah, look, uh, I think it's it's a very interesting thing, not only for tourists, but for Irish people to come and see um, a real work in distillery. So if anyone is uh, entertaining guests, uh, a nice way to spend an hour or two. Yeah, not sure what to do with the relatives. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, makes everyone a little bit more interesting. <laughs> well, thank you so much, no, Stephen, for, for coming me. in today and uh, dedicating your time. We really appreciate it. Cool. And uh, have a great day. All right. Thank you. That was just an edited version of the conversation we had. We'll be making the full interview available soon as well, in case you just can't get enough of teeling. That about wraps up for our very first episode of Distilled. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording it. And you'll be joining us next week when we sit down with George Roberts of High Spirits to talk about bourbon. Wait, what? Bourbon? I thought this was all about Irish whiskey. Oh, they distribute paddy too. Okay, I'll allow it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, all that good stuff. Until next time, I'm Julie Christie and this has been Distilled. <laughs>